There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with Doug Sprinthal, Helix Brant-Bernard Rasmussen, co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brant-Bernard, and Cassie Schrader. Doug, there you go. You're unbelievable. <sighs> Uh, it's time for your commercial, Doug. Can you hear yourself? I can hear myself. <laughs> God darn it. Yo, Doug. We are having a hiring fair uh, next week at Sensors for people in the automotive repair side of the business. It's called Wings and Work. It's Tuesday, August 13th from 3.30 to 7.30. On-the-spot uh, job interviews. We've got hiring bonuses for nearly all positions. It'd be really kind of fun. So come on and have some wings, have a couple of beers, talk to the recruiting team at Walzer. That's at Sensors on 494 in France in Bloomington next Tuesday, August 13th from 3.30 to 7.30 p.m. Wonderful. Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. That works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Oh, there you go. Whoa, Ooh, somebody's boy. really, really loud, man. Hey. Somebody's really, really loud. Oh, hey. now, now we can't oh. hear anything. Oh, there you go. That was on. That was on. That would explain it, an extra set of headphones. Philip Mudd, ladies and gentlemen, now. Black Sight, the CIA, and the post-9-11 world. Philip, how are you? I'm well. Just uh, enjoying the day here in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. Actually, my daughter last night, by coincidence, just asked me if I would go to Memphis with her to go to Graceland because none of us have ever been there. It is interesting. You know, I went a few years ago, and I went because a friend, I, I live part-time in Memphis, a friend wanted to go. I thought it would be underwhelming. It is pretty darn interesting, more interesting than I expected. It's, it's you walk away saying that was worth a visit. Well, see, she really does want to go. And I, you know what? I think it probably would be a good idea because uh, I was like four years old when Elvis broke, so... Elvis has been a part of my life for as long as I could remember. I can guarantee you that. And we just uh, <laughs> we had a really nice talk yesterday uh, with an author. But he just wrote a book about Elvis and how Elvis changed Las Vegas forever and changed America and the world actually forever. And uh, I'll move on quickly from this, but it's true. Elvis had a very lonely life because, as he said, when he met the Beatles, he turned to his friend and said, "There are four of them. There's only one of me." Just to talk about how lonely it is to be Elvis Presley. It was at the time, anyway. Hell of a story. Great. And I think you'll get some sense of that when, when, you, when you do the visit. You'll get some sense of, 
you know, it's pretty tough to have friends when you're Elvis Presley, friends that you can yeah. trust. Yeah, that's exactly right. Can I, if I go there, can I get a peanut butter and a banana sandwich? Because oh, that was his favorite, peanut butter and <laughs> banana sandwiches. Elvis, uh, black site, the CIA, and post in the post-9-11 world, a bold account of one of the most controversial and haunting initiatives in American history. Black site tells the full story of post-9-11 counterterrorism. Yeah, I don't think, the, did the average person even know what black site's about? I don't. I don't think so. Um, you know, I usually start by saying, you're, and one of the reasons I wrote the book was to make sure this, this piece of history wasn't lost, especially, you know, through the lens of the people I spoke with, many of whom haven't spoken in public. But I have to step back and say, remember, in uh, 2002, the CIA was, was picking up its first al-Qaeda prisoners, had to figure out what to do with them and put them in secret prisons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Americans don't have a great sense of history. This is less than a generation ago, and a lot of people either don't know that or don't remember it. What's so amazing to me about that, Philip, is I thought as the dust kind of settled, and I hate to say it that way, but it's true, as the dust kind of settled after 9-11, I thought it would change the world forever for the better, and it really didn't. I don't think anybody learned anything, which shocks me. I, I think we've learned a, a few things. I mean, people have, I think, reflected on on what American intervention costs in terms of money and, yeah, and part, human yeah. lives. If you look at Afghanistan and Iraq, that said, now you're having people still say, you know, maybe we should intervene in Latin America. Maybe we should be more aggressive uh, with the Iranians. And I'm like half a generation later, you want to invade another country? Are you kidding me? Yeah. What no. are we supposed to learn? You can do that if there's a threat to an American citizen. But if you're just angry, I would not suggest it. No, I agree with you completely. And I think that's exactly what I was talking about, Philip, is that people are, are saying things like you just stated. And I thought to myself, did you learn nothing from 18 years ago? And I can't believe, by the way, that that was 18 years ago. I, I, that amazes me that that was 18 years ago and just next month. God. Yeah, I, I remember um, I was at the White House uh, executive office building across from the West Wing that day. and 18 years, it feels like it's a hundred years ago, yeah, partly because of the number of things I witnessed and the, the number of sort of decisions and life choices that, that I participated in. But you, you would think that it would be fresher. And even when I was writing the book, I was remembering and learning things that I had already forgotten and I lived them. So it was kind of instructive for me to talk to a bunch of old colleagues and have them step through their memories. And then, you know, a lot of them aren't part of the book, but I've been saying, shoot, I remember that, and I've forgotten it already. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's kind of how it goes. I do remember that morning. I believe it was 7.45 uh, Central Time, if I remember correctly, somewhere around that time in any case. And I was sitting doing the morning show. I've been doing the same morning show for 34 years here in Minneapolis-St. Paul, and I looked up at the monitor, and, and one, of the, one of the World Trade Center towers was on fire, and I said, what is that all about? So we did some research, and they said that a light plane had hit the World mm-hmm. Trade Center. And I looked up and said, there is no way a light plane caused a hole that big. There's no way that happened. And as we're on the air talking about how it, there's no way it was a light plane, the second plane then hit. And I think that was around 7.45 in the morning, if I remember. I'm not, I'm not certain, but... But uh, one of the great honors of my life is that the Smithsonian has that recording of, of we on the KQ Morning Show talking about it. And there's a movie called, um, there's a documentary out. And the documentary starts with that recording from the KQ Morning Show. And, and we're talking about it. And that's quite an honor, Philip, I'll tell you that. I tell you, you know, it's sort of picking up on what you're saying. One of the things that, that I remember that's reflected in the book is to take the reader and say, do you remember how uncertain those times were? I was with you. The first the first plane that went in, I was in the executive office building. I thought, this is a Cessna or something. Right. The second right. plane goes in, and people said, there's one up there that's coming for us, i.e. in the White House compound. And then you start going. Two months later, I was with a senior diplomat talking to the sort of uh, president of Afghanistan, north of Kabul. Uh, on December 23rd, I was at the inauguration of the new Afghan president. We were still thinking that there would be a second wave of attacks by al-Qaeda. We thought they might be anthrax. You remember in the fall? Yes, absolutely. Oh, one their anthrax letter. It was just a level of uncertainty for years, I think, is going to be really hard for later generations to understand. 
I think you're absolutely right. I, I, what it did happen, I remember I called Catherine, my wife who's here in Hi. studio, and our son and daughter are here as well. Um, I called her and I said, Catherine, you need to know that. And she was working out, I believe. You, weren't you working out at the time? I was at the end of my yoga workout doing my little zen happy Your peaceful thoughts. happy thoughts. Oh, and then you called. And I called and she said, what are you talking about? I said, turn the TV on. I can't describe to you what is possibly going on, and we may have to go get the kids from school. Um, I know. You had so much panic in your voice. I was like, what could be happening? Well, I mean, the, one plane hits, then two planes hit, and as Philip just pointed out, oh. there's another plane headed for the Pentagon. Yeah. There's another plane uh, somewhere. Nobody even knew where that fourth plane was at the time, I don't think. Uh, and a local Minnesota guy, as a matter of fact, was one of the people that helped to bring that plane down. I can't say safely because it killed everybody on board, but it didn't. Where they were headed was going to kill a lot more people than in that that farm field. Yeah. We're just talking about it. It just That's sounds. Right. It still sounds impossible that it happened. Yeah, it is very. It's just odd. so. Yeah. Uh. Well, you're right though because there were events after that 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 made it look like it was just a wave after. Yeah. Because I think that yeah. wasn't the DC sniper attacks right after that as well. I think so. Yeah. That that was it's interesting you say that that was not long after we, right. I was uh, involved in the analysis of Al Qaeda. We thought Al Qaeda might be reading. They did read U.S. news media. They might be reading about the D.C. sniper. I was living in one of the areas where a few people were shot, and we we thought Al Qaeda might say, "Well, this is simpler than taking down aircraft. You can paralyze entire cities by doing this." That they might try that tactic. They didn't, but it gives you a a, a sense of why we were so on edge and and why. You know, the whole black site, the controversial program grew out. I mean, people don't remember. We were sitting here saying, this happened once. It cannot happen again. And if it does happen again, people will look at the CIA and say, I can't believe you can't figure out how to ensure that more kids get to grow up with their parents. Because a lot of kids lost lost parents. Yeah. Yeah, the sense of urgency was, it was really overwhelming. It's hard. I tried to recreate it in the book, but it was really overwhelming. It was indeed. As a matter of fact, we, we had a friend who lost, uh, they lost their son. Gordy Amath Jr. was in the lobby of the building, and he didn't quite make it out of the building. He, he died in the building. Uh, it just, it touched everyone to such a degree at that time. I, I remember standing with my friends later on that day, and it all of a sudden just struck you. It's like, there aren't any airplanes in the sky. This is really weird, because they grounded everybody. Obviously, it was a thing to do, but... I remember yeah. how odd that feeling was. Like, there were no airplanes. It's really quiet. Nobody was talking in a loud voice. I remember that as well. Everybody's just kind of not whispering, but talking in a very low tone. I think everybody was just, it seemed to me they were pretty devastated by it, as they should have been, I guess. Um, no, I think that's right. One of the, one of the reasons I, I, I talked to friends was, I think one of the surprises was the consistency in their views about those times and what happened after. The, the surprise was they all looked back and said, we don't re- regret what we did. It was a lot of people don't like it, but they said we anticipated a second round. And then I look, I have a bunch of nieces and nephews uh-huh. and they're between their teens and their twenties. They don't really think about this. And I, I look in the mirror and say, I know people judge us sometimes negatively, but that is a tremendous success. The fact that a child or a 25-year-old today doesn't sit there and think, I'm worried about uh, another al-Qaeda attack in this country. I think most 20-somethings here don't even think about it anymore. Fifteen years ago, that was unthinkable. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I, I think that there's something else going on, too, because I'm a dad of a few teenagers that are either side of 20. And, you know, they're also totally insensitive to mass school shootings, too. It's just like that's the I world suppose, that they grew yeah. up in. And, they yeah. don't, you know, I ask them about it to check in with them. And they're like, yeah, probably not going to happen. We don't we don't even talk about it, which is sad in a way. But I, it is, I, yeah. conf- I, I confess I do not understand that i can understand it among youth i don't understand it among the people of my generation who are serving in in congress and elsewhere if you look at just analytically at the statistics on things like mental health and gun ownership i don't want to go politically but just analytically look at statistics from peer countries in east asia and western europe you would say this doesn't have to happen 
It doesn't happen in other places. Maybe we should just analytically say, what are the differences between the United States and other places? And we don't seem capable of doing that. Yeah, the onion Again, always poses. I'm just po- saying, as an analyst, this isn't that hard. The onion always post, posts an article after a big shooting says, America says nothing can be done. The only country that can't do anything. It's like, yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's very, very true. You know, Philip, I do remember just a short time after that, whether it was six months or a year or whatever it was, I was talking to some college professors, and it was the day college professors angered me to the point that, and I'm not condemning all of them, but there are some out there. They were trying to convince me that the United States had it coming. <laughs> like, what? I said, yeah, the people of the United States. Let, were, let me, yeah. Let, let, let me, uh, you know, in it's interesting. Polling data in the Middle East was was curious uh, after 9-11. A, a large number of people in the Arab world hated America, and they thought America had it coming. Mm-hmm. I, when I do public speaking, people raise that occasionally, and my response is pretty simple. That's an irrelevant question. Nearly 3,000 innocent people right. who didn't know what al-Qaeda was were murdered. Mm-hmm. This was not an act of war. An act of war includes combatants wearing uniforms going after each other i i you know even if you would agree and i don't that america had it coming you would still say does that justify the murder of innocence i don't know what does justify the murder of innocence but i can't come up with anything no you're 100 percent right and i'm really glad you put it that way because that's exactly what i what i said to them was how did these people have it coming what are you talking about and there's still that feeling in america as you go well look around right now how Americans are constantly battling over how disgusting America is to some people. There are a lot of Americans that think this is the worst country on earth, and I don't understand where they get that. I just don't get it. I, I think there's a middle ground here, I, and I, Hope I get so. frustrated with that. I also get frustrated with the constant reference, and this is going to offend some of the listeners, to American exceptionalism. There's a reason why. I, I'm an American. I grew up playing Little League. I think America is exceptional. My point is you typically don't look at a seven-year-old and say, you're exceptional. Don't worry about it. You can never get better. I'm afraid that Americans are losing the capability to look in the mirror and say, people who are exceptional don't say it. They know they are. They just look in the mirror and say, how do we get better? For example, on educational standards or health standards, we're not great compared to our peer countries. We're not setting ourselves up great. So why don't we just say, hey, we are exceptional. We can even do better. I'm afraid that... We both criticize the country too much. It's a terrific mm-hmm. place. I've lived overseas. Believe I want to be here. But we're, we're, when you say we can do better than what we are, people look at me in public speeches and say, are you saying something's wrong with America? Like, no, I'm saying the same thing I tell a seven-year-old. Get better. You right. hit 350 this year. Why don't you hit 400 next year? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ted Williams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm I, talking about T-ball. Yeah, I understand yeah. you're talking about <laughs> T-ball. <laughs> I'm talking about T-ball. That's a very, that's a very, very funny. Philip, do you do you have a few more minutes? I have to take a very quick break, but I'd love yeah, to talk sure. to you yeah. more. I, I there are so many more things to bring up, and I want you to talk all about Black Sight. We'll be right back. Okay. Uh, great. More with Philip Mudd, Black Sight, the CIA in the post 9-11 world, back in seconds with Philip. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me, too? No. (laughs) (laughs) God, thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't. <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. 
There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. A little Enter Sandman. I like it. It's one of my favorite songs ever. Philip Mudd with us, ladies and gentlemen, Black Sight. And Philip, whenever you have to go, just let me know because I'd probably keep you forever. So, so let me know. That's all right, I'm around. <laughs> That's all right, I'm around. Black Sight, the CIA and post 9 11 world. And I don't want to spend a whole lot more time talking about it, but I do want to just. Uh, in Minnesota, Philip, I don't know, have you spent a lot of time in Minnesota? No, I've been to St. Paul a few times talking to mostly corporate groups oh, okay. uh, and uh, running along. There was a terrific running park in, in, uh, yes. in Minneapolis that I ran a few times. Yeah, great uh, bike lanes, great running lakes. All over. And I yeah. love it. I was born here, raised here. I haven't lived, you know, lived here my whole life for a few years. I lived other places, but I always came back. So, so understand, I love Minnesota, but about half the people here are insane. And I don't know why. They're, <laughs> they're so apologetic about being American. I, it disgusts me. I don't get it, you know. They're, they're. Oh, I'm really, I'm really sorry that uh, we have a, you know, a family unit and where everybody's doing well, and the rest of the world's suffering and America's not, and we really should feel bad about that. It's like, do you know how many people we help out in this world financially and in every other way, but they don't see it that way. It's weird. Yeah, I, I don't fully. You know, one of the challenges you have in this country is that people don't have passports. Um. Yep. When you travel and you start to see some things that I think people would take that, that are evident, things like the freedoms in this country, the opportunity, the fact that there's not sort of a caste system here. In other words, if you're poor and you get educated, there's not like a culture that says you can never break into the upper echelons of society. Oh, hell yeah, you can, as long as you have an education, which is key. Right. Right. There are other things, I think, again, the lack of passports, I think, compared to countries elsewhere where people have to cross national borders. Right. Just the natural beauty of this country is uh, it's hard for me. I spent my life traveling a country that has everything from Alaska to Hawaii to mm-hmm. where I used to fish the Florida Everglades to the savannas of South Carolina. I mean, it's this country just in terms of natural beauty is uh, just I don't think people understand what we have. No, you're the right. fact that you can go from Denali in Alaska to fishing for tarpon in Florida is awesome. <laughs> it is. You're right about that. Catherine and I just drove from, as a matter of fact, from uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, through uh, you know Georgia and the whole way. I go through Tennessee and then up through Illinois. Man, there are some beautiful. You talk about that area, Chattanooga to, to Nashville. The entire state of Wisconsin is just gorgeous as you're driving through i don't think people spend enough time doing that kind of thing to realize realize how how beautiful america really is yeah and for, i don't want to get too sentimental on you i'm not that old believe it or not but uh, <laughs> i'm a slowdown guy i don't i hate this is embarrassing i don't have wi-fi um i've got an old hyundai but i do have an old farm and sitting on the porch with no wi-fi with a beer watching the hay blowing the wind. I'll be driving down to the mountains of North Carolina next week for vacation in a little town called Brevard. Just just watching the hills, um, talking to friends. Uh, Life moves with such a speed today. I sound like an old man, but just sitting around watching the sunset on a mountain, I'm like, this is too cool. I just... It never gets old. It never gets old. You know, it's really funny, Philip. You're the first person I've told this, but other than outside the family. But I literally think digital is the most overrated piece of crap in history. It's done more to <laughs> separate us than bring us together, I'll tell you that. I think, you know, I use it to read the news, which I have to do for work. Uh, I also find paying bills really <laughs> 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 Well, there you go. There but, you have it. 
But but being connected, I don't want to be connected. I don't, you know, yep. I do the news for a living. I read the news all day because I have to. Yep. I would Me rather too. be, you know, with friends, having a beer, just saying, you know, what do you think of, you know, the twins? I, you know. Yep. I, life is good. I don't need more diversions to take me away from hanging around with friends doing nothing. So, Philip, I need your advice on something because I've been looking. I asked our son Andy, who's the chief engineer. You want on this my show. advice? This is a, this is a problem. It's yeah, <laughs> a huge problem for you. I have been trying to find a centrist news site that will just give me the news instead of their opinion on the news, whether it be far left or far right. I cannot find a news site where I can just get the facts and judge for myself what I think. I don't, it's, I, I, I'm not aware of one. Um, <laughs> I read uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, BBC. I have an Apple News feed, mm. uh, USA Today, uh, CNN website, I'll read Fox. The only compilation I know of, and I, I'm not a paid advertiser, I get a publication called The Week, which is, which is a variety of news coverage. It's, it's it's a variety of news coverage across America. It just push, puts it in one place. Like it'll quote different magazines from different optics. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also say just in general, The Economist is a conservative magazine. It's a little bit dense, but if you want a picture of the world, it's pretty good. But I agree. I got to read a ton of stuff because yeah. I, I don't know whether the perspective in any one is believable. That is exactly my problem. And, and Andy and I talked about it yesterday. There are a couple of new sites we use, but it's like, this is your opinion. This is, that's not what happened at all. This is your opinion of what happened. So in any case, Philip, I, I don't, it doesn't usually take me 20, 25 minutes to get to the topic someone called in about, but it's, it's been a very interesting conversation. <laughs> I love these conversations because, uh, you know, there, there's just kind of a sad feeling in America right now. I know it's political season and everybody's barking at everybody else, but it makes me sad more than angry, to tell you the truth. I, I you know, I was just in El Paso, and I, I I'm not an, I'm an eternal optimist. I got to tell you, you, let me reverse your spirit. You would not have believed how upbeat good. people were. They'll good. start by saying, and I had one lady just walk up and start crying. So it was, I was there 48 hours, or 24, 48 hours after the shootings. People walked up and said, "A." Uh, most of us are immigrants, so and we're happy to be here. Mm-hmm. But the, the real remarkable, uplifting piece was them saying, "Look, we have families. This is a great place to live. It's a relatively peaceful society. We have jobs. The job market is good." Twenty-two people died, and they're still saying, "You know, um, I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to be alive." And, which is kind of what I feel like. I wake up in the morning, I get mm-hmm. a cup of coffee, I'm like. I realize it's political season and people are angry, but God gave me a gift of another day. Damn it, I am not going to be pissed off. I love it. I, I am going to have a good time. It's absolutely great. So how long did it take you to put uh, Black Sight together, the uh, CIA and the post-9-11 world, the book? How long, take, how long did it take you to do the book? Well, aside from living it, so I had right. the, the real uh, advantage of when people used even the minor things like acronyms and when they made references to, to uh, various events, I could... I didn't have to research. I'm like, okay, I, was there. I, I know what that. I know what you're talking about. And I would say a couple of years. A lot of that was um, bailing my friends and co- former colleagues down for interviews, and then just figuring out how do I write this. Um, how do I, and that is not as easy as it sounds. Just what's the tone? What stuff do I want to put in, or what do I want to take out? That took a couple of years. I could see that absolutely. Um... So you said, like you said, you lived it. Tell me about living it. That, it's, that's got to be fascinating. I'm not sure that's the word I would use. I, uh, and, and one of the reasons I wrote the book was not only to give a perspective of what, what my peers witnessed and to have an American sort of stand in our shoes, but I would call it a, boy, the, 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 the sense of urgency, the sense of going to sleep saying, what if this... Until about 05, I thought we might be losing against Al-Qaeda. What if this happens again? Mm-hmm. What if it's uh, anthrax the next time? Yeah. What if there's a cell in New York or Minneapolis or Los Angeles that we missed and that kills 50 people you know, at the Mall of the Americas or something, and we have to stand in front of Congress and the American people and say we blew it? This, it was just an urgent time, disturbing in retrospect, you know, especially when I talked to my friends who, who were teachers or accountants, you know, 
things you have to do, but they look at it and say, this is really fascinating. And in retrospect, when you have a chance to breathe, I guess it is. It did not feel like that then. Yeah, I, I would imagine it. Are you happy uh, with the way the book turned out? I, there, the, the problem that I would have with writing a book is you'd go, ah, oh, I want to include that in, but there's just not time, there's not room or whatever. Are you, are you happy with the way the book, uh, you yourself uh, edited the book? Um, I'm going to say what I shouldn't. A couple of things. First, the people who have read it so far, aside from the, the subject matter, which people will have strong, positive, and negative views about, yes, yeah. said they thought it was a good read. That's really, as a former yep. English major, that's really important. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be writing about Pinocchio. I want somebody to say this is an interesting, well-written. I, but the thing I want to say that's not right, my publisher, I hope, is not listening. Um, I, I like to write. I like words. I was taught grammar year and year out by the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, who thankfully used corporal punishment. When we got things wrong, you whack you on the back of the head. <laughs> Once it was written and published, I was, I was happy I got the story I wanted to get down on paper. And whether it's sold or not, I, I'm like, I, if people don't want to read it, that's, I was just like, I wrote a book. Right. Somebody published a book that I didn't have to pay to get published. <laughs> if 10 people buy it or 10 million buy it, I wrote a book. I, I know that sounds a little bit goofy, but I'm just happy no. to have it published. No, not at all. It doesn't um, sound goofy at happy all. Happy to have it out there. And by the way, happy to have the damn thing off my desk. What a pain in the ass. I understand completely. <laughs> Black Sight, the CIA, and post-9-11 world. It is available on Amazon. It's available everywhere. Philip, uh, sorry for taking up about half your day here, but it's fascinating. Okay. It's fascinating to talk to you, sir. Bye. Thank you. Have a good day, sir. Bye. It's very, you know what's funny about that? During that interview, I looked around, and all five of you were on your phones. I was participating. I asked some key questions that kept moving along. I was listening. I just was like, you know, I mean, what do you say? Yeah. (laughs) Well, one thing I do, I I wanted to ask you guys. It's such a, one of those topics that just every time you even think about it, just. So here's what I was looking up, but I just couldn't find a way to get in there. No, it's not about porn. (laughs) It's about travel. This is one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes, but it's kind of long and I can't memorize it. He said, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and Mm. many of our people need it to sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. Amen. It's true. True story. It is so very true. I just, like I said, I've... So he wasn't screwing around on the internet. He was yes, doing show were. research. You're a disaster. You're doing show research. That's what it was. <laughs> but no, I, 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 what I wanted to ask you guys, when I, when I do sit and watch these debates and I watch Donald Trump do what he does and I watch all the rest of it, do you think we in some odd, bizarre way feel guilty about being Americans after 9-11? I, I just get this feeling that somehow... These people think we had it coming and we got what we deserved, which is disgusting to me. Well, I, I don't feel guilty for being American. I'm proud. Good. My country, parts Good. of my con- family have been here since the country started. But I do think that at times we've made foreign policy decisions that yeah. were horrible. We've Everybody done does. things in yeah. the past that Yeah, but I'm that's not, not the American people. That's right. No, that, that was my point. I mean, there's <laughs> things that have occurred. I mean, you look at what we did to the Native Americans 150 years ago and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's bad. I mean, you can't sure. say this is good. Sugarcoat it. But Correct. every country has a similar history. Absolutely. They all have dark like the chapters. The Rape of King? Right. I mean, like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ask the Koreans how they feel about the Japanese. And, exactly. You know, it's just, it's, right. it's yeah. history. It's humankind. So to feel ashamed of your country for that, I, yeah. you know, personally, I get the whole retribution thing but i also you know i've got relatives that fought in the civil war to free the slaves and i was i don't know that's the weird thing to me and i don't i don't mean this to be reparation i knew what you meant uh i still don't understand how it is that these days because of people like beto o'rourke and cory booker and those scumbags and i'm not a republican and i'm not a democrat i'm just stuck in the middle but the Republican Party was formed to fight slavery, to get rid, to abolish slavery. But now all of a sudden, Republicans are all uh, white supremacists. What the hell is that? I mean, how dare you say that about a group of people who formed uh, 
another political party yeah, to wipe out the slave owners, who were all Democrats, by the way. I don't think that the Republicans, for the most, and there probably are some exceptions. I mean, it's a yeah. huge party. There's going right. to be some whack jobs yeah, on sure. there. But I, I do think that the white supremacists identify more with the current Republican Party than they do the Democrats. I think that's fair. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that Republicans are are you know white supremacists. But that's I don't think they I don't think they do identify with the Republicans or the Democrats. They're a whole different kettle of fish yeah. out there. They really are. I don't understand why at this you know I, I suppose you look at it and you go, oh my God, look at what these people are doing. I, I maybe that's how simple it is for them. I don't know. I don't know what the hell the deal is. All I know is that I just every, wish everybody in Washington, D.C. would shut up and serve the people. That's what I really wish they would do. I mean, some of my favorite presidents in history were Republicans. No, I know. F, F, F Lincoln, obviously, but Teddy Roosevelt, I thought he was brilliant. Well, I mean, he was way ahead of his time. No doubt. I just, it's fascinating. We've got to take a break here. We have another guest coming up right after this with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. It's Tom telling you that you can lose an average of 26.2 pounds on the 40-day weight loss program powered by Nutramost. I lost 92.5 pounds in less than five months. Thanks to the Sheehy Brothers and the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost. And I encourage you to let them help you lose weight as they teach you how to stay healthy and keep that weight off. Take it from me. Having a coach keeps you accountable and it makes achieving your goals so much easier. Let the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost help you. Schedule your immediate consultation or attend the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, August 19th at Jake's in Plymouth. Call now, 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Study data comes from client-submitted data to a third party for tracking of daily weight loss and progress through the new to most weight loss programs. See website for full disclaimer details. Ooh, another good song. You're getting home runs with the music lately, I'll tell you that. Ben Siegel, Parker Pell, Quick Fix, providing college students with a means to earn income around their class schedule. Ben, Parker, how you doing? Hey, Tom, how are you? Doing hey, extremely doing well. Thanks for having us. Uh, what I really like is the fact that uh, there, I hope maybe, hopefully there is a fix, and if it's a quick fix, that would be even better because uh, we're in a situation. Somebody threw a, a stat at me last night, and I, you know, I was so floored by it. In the past 20 years... College tuition has quintupled or something like in that ballpark. Do you got do you know the answer to that question? In twenty years, yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, so the student debt crisis is around like one point six trillion dollars currently, oh. um, and that's our vision and is why we started Quick Fix. Um, we were two students who struggled with student loan debt. Um, we both played sports at our college respectively, and we're always looking for ways to make money around our academic schedule that didn't interfere with our college experience that we believed every college student should enjoy. And we knew that we could do some heavy lifting, do some yard work, help people around an office. And it's how we started quick fix. It is terrific. Did you both play baseball? We did. Yes, sir. All right. What positions? Let's hear it. Uh, I played like middle infield, third base, um, for the two short years that I played. And I was, a. Uh, I was a relief pitcher who lasted a year and sat on the bench, but that's God. all right. Ben, that was you saying that just now? That was Parker. Well, oh, that was Parker saying that just now because it's like 
like, uh-oh, one of these guys was a pitcher, I can just tell you. You know, it's funny. <laughs> the reason I bring that up very quickly, uh, Kent Herbeck is a good friend of mine, and they just had a, a, the Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame induction of a couple of different guys, and uh, and I believe Rick Aguilera was – Kent Herbeck walked up to Rick Aguilera, former closer for the Twins, and said, you know, man – you're the only pitcher I ever liked. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Kent. Yeah, pitchers are definitely weird. <laughs> That's phenomenal. I love them. That's it's just a, it's just a wonderful thing. Oh, so so here's the deal. Like most college kids, Ben and Parker, were broke with classes and baseball. Their schedules didn't allow for them to take a traditional part-time job. So they printed out a thousand flyers, went door to door, offering to do odd jobs. The response was amazing. What a great idea! That, that's a terrific idea. Going door to door with flyers, going, "Hey, when you got an odd job, we'll do it. We need the money." Great idea. Thank you. Yeah, looking looking back on it, we were. Uh... We we're, we look back and think we were pretty psychotic for doing it because it was 108 <laughs> in Memphis and we did it for an hour. But uh, now now that we look at it, uh, it was it was helpful. Yeah, definitely was kind of kickstarted the business, but not sure I would do it again anytime soon. Huh. I can see. So basically, what you did, you got so much work. Did you have to go to fellow students and say, "Hey, you can make some. We got some jobs here, and we can't do them all." Is that how you handled this? Yeah, basically, Parker and I did them ourselves for as long as we could just because, you know, we started for us to make money. But eventually, yeah, it, it just got too busy and, you know, we had class and uh, homework and tests to study for. So we ended up contracting it out to some fraternity brothers. Um, and then from there, word just kind of started to spread on campus of, hey, there's actually a way that everyone in college can make 15 bucks an hour. And um, it's called Quick Fix. And then students just started kind of reaching out to us. Um, from there and applying to work what a great what kind of jobs did you get mostly so at the beginning um it was pretty much kind of like outdoor yard work weeding planting flowers laying mulch to everything doing heavy lifting organizing basement um and it's been cool to see the transition actually to not only homeowners hiring us but also businesses so small businesses that need help with data entry quickbooks creating websites you name it college students are probably the most underutilized workforce Mm -hmm. across the country and have skills that people don't truly understand, but they're used to hiring college students to come in as an intern, essentially. And for us, we're able to help homeowners and not only help homeowners on their home and take care of their to-do list, but help businesses have their entry-level employees be more productive by taking the photocopying and scanning off of them and allowing their productivity to grow. I think it's a wonderful idea. Created in late 2017, Quick Fix, getquickfix.com, as a matter of fact, helps people find an extra hand tackling their to-do list by connecting them with local college students struggling with student loan debt. Quick Fix provides college students with a means to earn income around their class schedule so they can maintain their grades and enjoy their college experience. A question I have for you. Catherine and I, my wife, that was the, the, was the person that just was talking to you a bit there, Catherine and I need help all the time doing these odd jobs, you know, and I was just talking to Catherine about this. I know. I was asking if they were available tomorrow. Yeah. Are you available tomorrow? Cause we <laughs> I get, got, I got you, things to do. Do you have an office in Minneapolis-St. Paul? Because we, we get, seriously, this is a great idea because I'm, I'm and I'm very serious about that. We have things that, that we can't control and handle by ourselves. We could absolutely use Quick Fix. Well, and the Twins need some relief pitching. Yeah, and free, so yeah, we could get that taken care yeah. of. Parker, get up, get up here, get your get your baseball yeah. cap, get ready to go. Uh, <laughs> getquickfix.com. So, would we go on your site? Could we find people in the Minneapolis St. Paul area that way? Um, so not yet. It's on our list right now. We're officially live in Memphis, Nashville, Denver, Boulder. Uh, Austin, Texas, and Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, but within the next 12 months, we're, the plan is to build out a workforce in 50 um, more cities across the U.S. and be in a total of 56 markets um, by the end of 2020, I guess. And Minneapolis is definitely on that list. Yeah, we have a uh, lot so of college the students next 12 here. Months will be, uh, yep. We'll be sending some people over to your house to help you out. <laughs> Gee, it's really too bad. It's just terrible places like, you know, Boulder and Memphis yeah. and Nashville. <laughs> Really too bad. It's in such horrible cities. <laughs> Reminds me of one of my favorite lines from Spinal Tap when they get their show canceled in Boston and the manager goes, yeah, it's not much of a college town yes. anyway. It's not much of a college town, exactly. <laughs> Boston, Massachusetts. I, seriously, I, and I, you know, this got 
just from my own personal experience, you know, we, we, uh, we're moving things around. We've got, you know, a, a bigger house and moving things from one floor to another and upstairs and downstairs. I mean, if we could, we probably would pay premium if we could find, what, five college students? It's hilarious. You're, you're, it's $15 an hour. I want to pay more. Yeah, <laughs> I want to pay Hamilton. more just so I don't have to do it is what I'm saying. I mean, that's well, the... well, we'll take it if you want to pay it. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, not a good negotiator. So I'm assuming, fellas, that, that, that it's going really, really well, I, I, guess, I would guess. The response has been really great. Um, we actually currently have... 1,200 college students on our platform between 16 universities in the six cities that Ben mentioned um, earlier that are working around their class schedule, as well as customers on a daily basis calling us, chatting us, telling us what they need done. Um, And we're able to match the college students with their skills to get it taken care of. So it's been great. Um, We were fortunate enough to be able to start it while we were in school. Skipped a few classes, which our parents, I'm sure, wouldn't be happy about. But for us, it's been such a great learning experience. Um, And we continue to learn on a day-to-day basis, and it's really exciting. I hope my mom skipped over that last 30 seconds. (laughs) Does it work? I'm familiar with the um, app Tackle. Does it work like that? Yeah, it's it's pretty similar, like, functionality-wise. It's super easy to go on and find um, some help around the house. For us, the biggest differentiator is, the fact that every worker on our platform is 18 to 21 Excellent. Um, yep. and then also the give back component of, you know, helping a student get through school and pay for, um, you know, loans or any other uh, maybe rent payments that they have um, that are kind of contributing and, or maybe even taking away from their uh, college experience just because there's so much stress involved with, you know, being that young and having that much debt on mm-hmm. your hands and you don't really know what you're going to do to pay it off. Um, so that's kind of where we fit into the market as far as, Okay. with Tackle and some of the other uh, similar companies. Sure, that makes sense. Do you train, do you need to train your people? So all of our students, they download our app on the iPhone and then they apply to work. So they tell us their skill sets, their previous work experience, give us a reference, and then everyone goes through an interview process. In order to work for Quick Fix, you have to have a valid .edu email, being that you've been accepted into a college. Um, the yeah. college has said you're good to be able to come to school in class and for us that's validation um once you go through our interview process we approve you to be able to go and do these jobs for people with the skills that they have okay because that's that's important because i mean you know you're inviting strangers over to your house it's great that you've got a screening process no it, it is really good i um uh now where are you guys based are you are you based still in memphis yes sir yeah we're based in memphis currently um it's inexpensive to live there quite frankly and mm-hmm. we just graduated in may from Rhodes in memphis and so it's kind of the ideal place for us to be right now um yep. who knows where we'll be in a year or two years but for us we can ride the quick fix as long as possible that sounds good to us you know the reason i ask you that is because at the end of october i, I also do a morning show in town here and in the end of october we're going to come down and do a couple of shows in in nashville uh, and it'd be great if you guys had, what is that, about a three-hour drive, something like that? Yeah, we're we're actually sitting in Nashville right now. We did a morning show this morning um, on TV here. I think it's uh, Channel 5 in Nashville. And so we're actually sitting in our third co-founder's apartment doing this. So, I mean, we'd love to come back and meet you in person. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, by the way, tell Bobby Bones to put you on the air because I said so. He's got a huge audience. <laughs> we'll do. Yeah, just, uh, as a matter of fact, I could probably – I am very excited about what you guys are doing. I think this is going to help everybody. It's a great business idea. It's going to help college students. It's going to help people like Catherine and me who need, you know, a few guys to come over and or women to come over or whatever and, and, and get some stuff done. Everybody benefits from this. And that's the upside for me is that everybody benefits from this business, which is great. Exactly, yeah. That's the vision for us is to be able to provide college students – a means to earn income, network themselves in the community, mm-hmm. help homeowners, and promote the ecosystems in every college town that we are in. Yeah, that's kind of the best part. I mean, like you said, you and your wife will be able to get help around the house, but for the students, you know, they'll be able to come over and yep. meet you guys, and, you know, who knows what kind of connections you have for them in, in your community that right. maybe they'll end up with a, with a full-time job after school. And, you know, that's the best way to pay for loans is to 
have a salary. So that's yeah. kind of our vision for all the kids. No doubt about it. And, and our daughter, Alex, is sitting right here, and she asked me if I would drive from, from Nashville to Memphis so she and I could go to Graceland because we've never been there. <laughs> oh, I've actually never been as well. I might join you. What? What do you mean you've never been there? You got to go I see know, Elvis. Four, four years in Memphis, never went. <laughs> oh no, she just, uh, you know, obviously. Well, we just had a guest on yesterday talking about uh, how Elvis changed music, and he, he actually changed America and the world because um, he, before that, everybody listened to the same. It doesn't matter if the grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad, the kids, they all listened to the same uh, groups. But once Elvis came along, he changed all that. So we, uh, you should go, and we should go. It's... Uh, to pay tribute to a guy that did change our culture. There's no doubt about that. But I definitely want you, if you can, make it up to Nashville the end of October. Uh, just stay in touch. Cassie, you have their information, right? Yep. Okay, Cassie's got your information. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be here whenever whenever you guys come. It's going to be terrific. It's probably not idea. worth it. There's only half a million people that listen to the radio show. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Half Perfect. a million to a million people, something like that. But, yeah, I uh, – you should absolutely get your – I was trying to think of who the hell I could connect you with at the Bobby Bone Show because that guy is on everywhere in the world. And he's – I mean, he, he, that's right in your wheelhouse with Memphis, Nashville, Boulder, Austin. Uh, you mentioned, you know, several other yeah, places. big music scene. Yeah, big, big music scene. So that would really help. Great idea, fellas. And we'll stay in touch. And I look Thank forward, you. I look forward to seeing you in uh, about two and a half months. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Great. Great having you on. Thanks a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, getquickfix.com. They're in Memphis, Nashville, Denver, Boulder, Austin, and they had one other market they made, Fayetteville. Fayetteville, I believe. It is a great idea. It's a great idea Mm because you and I could really use that like right now would be wonderful. Yes. We've got stuff to lug down from the attic. A lot of lugging. Just... Yeah, if we do it, it's just going to be wall damage. Yeah. <laughs> well, then you're going to have to hire somebody to fix that. I know. It's a snowball effect. And I saw the look on your face like, it's going to be wall damage, and Tom's going to do nothing but bitch the whole time. <laughs> we'll close with this. we got one more minute. Uh, just this headline. How does this sit with you? Just this headline. Uh... Woman who put octopus on her face. This was not a good idea. Well, does anyone try? <laughs> beer don't drink itself. Yeah, that's exactly right. She put an, a baby octopus on her face, which bit the piss out of her face. Okay, what? <laughs> Why a woman was did at she the do ocean. this? She's, apparently, she was at, uh, at the ocean. Uh, this happened, uh, I'm trying to figure where this was. Jamie, Mis- uh, Jamie Biscalia was trying to win a photo contest, ah, and the octopus bit her <clears throat> right on the face. There's a picture of the octopus biting the hell out of her face. <laughs> like, I, I was going to say, it must be an Instagram thing or something. I don't know what it is, but it's a Sounds psychotic thing. I do know that. That's true. Great guest today. Great show. Uh, Tom was amazing. Yeah, he's a, quite a storyteller. Really he's just great a charming guest. guy, and he's really funny. I can't believe he's related to Paul, who has actually no personality. <laughs> <laughs> Should see I had to the get two him of them together. Oh boy! You know, Paul. Last night we had our we had our uh, Walzer dinner last night, and, and Paul Paul always gets me to talk about these really, like, kind of sad things. Well, what about this, Tom? And then I tell him, and he's like, "Well, how did that affect?" And like, you know, he's he's a really good interviewer. Actually, yeah, he is. He he's really is. Really good at that. All right. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.